the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed the Bob France Authority, a post-Christmas edition of the Bob France Authority. Good Wednesday morning to you. Thank you for joining us at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this 26th morning of the month of December in the year of our Lord, 2018. My, oh, my. That came and went in a hurry. I got to tell you, uh, it crept up on us a lot faster, I think, for uh, than it has for, for many, many years, to be honest with you. It felt a little odd at Christmas time with no snow in northeast Ohio. I have to admit that. Uh, I don't know that everybody necessarily had that same exact Christmas feeling, although the spirit was there, the uh, uh, the spiritualness, if you will, spirituality, I guess is the word, was certainly there as well. But uh, my, oh, my, it came and it went very, very fast, and we're right back to work. Well, some of us are. Some are not. 25% of the federal workforce is not back to work today because the government shutdown does continue. And I would just like to say this. My Christmas was a bit disappointing, only because I had one item on my gift that a gift list, uh, my wish list, that I did not get. All I wanted for Christmas was my border wall. That's all I wanted. We didn't get it. Will I get it in time for the new year? I don't know. I don't know that I'm ever going to get my border wall, despite the best efforts of the President of the United States, whom I give great credit to for doing the right thing this Christmas. He stayed put. The best thing he could have done was stay put. It would have been terrible for him to go down to Mar-a-Lago and be with his family on Christmas while, of course, this uh, government shutdown is affecting hundreds of thousands of families uh, in terms of federal workers who are going to be on furlough. Now, they have not. I've got to cover this from a lot of different angles here. Number one, do not believe the lies being advanced by one of the worst liars, I think, in American federal government history. I won't call it political history because he's not actually an elected official, but... Fired FBI Director James Comey, got on Twitter on Christmas Eve, and lied 
about federal workers, 800,000 of them not getting their paychecks for Christmas. He wrote, quote, FBI families in particular will spend Christmas without a paycheck. He lied. This president promised Mexico would pay for the wall, but innocent people are now paying the price for another lie. Our thoughts are with the hardworking public servants and their families. James Comey is a liar. He has been a liar. President Trump disparaged him, by the way, as a part of describing the showdown over the shutdown and the showdown over the border wall, appropriately so. For those who do not know, um, the federal pay period number 26, which runs December 9th to the 22nd, will be processed as usual, which means federal employees will get their normal direct deposits between December 28th and January 3rd. No federal workers went Christmas without paychecks. It's a straight-up lie being told by the mainstream media, the American left, and, yes, the likes of FBI Director James Comey. That's important. It's the paycheck after that, starting with pay period number one of 2019, that will be interrupted. And I will say that again, interrupted. Because unlike the narrative being advanced, all of these federal workers are not going to be uh, without their money in the long term. They will stop receiving paychecks while their furlough goes on and the government shutdown happens in the short term. Not saying it will be easy. Anybody living paycheck to paycheck knows you need your checks every week or two weeks or whatever it is that you get paid to make your payments on this, 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 and this. Not saying it's going to be easy, but don't think that these people are out that money. It will be delayed. But furloughed workers always get their federal government money, their checks, after they go back to work. So just to be clear about that, nobody went without a paycheck on Christmas, and nobody is uh, going to be without a paycheck uh, in uh, you know the first of, of the year. It will be peer pay period number one in mid-January that will, will uh, first be affected. So just have to point that out there. And while those people are, are dealing with the furlough and the paychecks and everything else, uh, and perhaps the stress that comes with it, the president said, I'm not going to go down there to Mar-a-Lago and be with my family like things are normal. normal. I'm going to stay in the Oval Office, and I'm going to work. And that's exactly what he did. And on Christmas Eve, he had a press co- or a video conference, I should say, with our troops supporting them. But he also made sure to talk to reporters to let them know, I'm not backing down. I'm not backing down in the face of this Democrat support for illegal aliens at the expense of American citizens and legal residents and visitors to this country. I'm not backing down on an issue of border security, because that's an issue of national security. And guess who supports me, the president said? The federally laid-off workers. They, they all understand do. what's happening. They want border security. The people of this country want border security. You know, it's not a question of uh, me. I'd, I'd rather not be doing shutdowns. I've been at the White House, and I love the White House, but... Uh, I wasn't able to be with my family. I thought it would be wrong for me to be with my family. My family's in Florida, Palm Beach. And I just didn't want to go down and be there when other people are hurting. It was the right thing to do. It would have been bad optics to go down there uh, and and celebrate at Mar-a-Lago with his family in Palm Beach and anywhere else he wanted to go. It would have been bad optics. And he is there in case, let's just say it the way it is, He's, he's sitting by the phone, right? He's sitting at his desk in the Oval Office by the phone in case it rings. 
in case Chuck Schumer or somebody else in the Democrat Party comes to their senses and says, hey, can we come over and talk? Because that's what has to happen here. Despite the president's proclamation about two weeks ago that he would be proud to shut down government over the issue of border security, which is an issue of national security, saying he would be proud to own it, at the end of the day here, he does not own it. Because it's not his shutdown. Even though he said he would do it, the truth of the matter is, he didn't. House Republicans came to him with a funding bill and said, we're going to fund the border wall. We have come back with a spending bill, including $5.7 billion for the funding of a border wall. And the president said, I like it. I'll sign it. And the Democrats in the Senate, Chuck Schumer and his crew, are the ones who said, nope, you don't get it. You're not allowed to have it. You'll never get your border wall, Chuck Schumer scolds as if he's some sort of a, an authority figure talking to a child. You'll never get your border wall just by throwing a temp- temper tantrum. This is a Chuck Schumer-owned shutdown. The media won't spin it that way. Schumer won't spin it that way. But at the end of the day, Republicans in the Congress have approved the funding of a wall. A Republican in the White House has said, I'll sign the funding of the wall. And it's only the obstructionist Democrats in the Senate who are saying, nope, you don't get it. So whose shutdown is this really? It's Chuck Schumer's shutdown. And the president appears as though he is not going to blink. He appears as though he is going to stand firm here in defense of American sovereignty, which is exactly what he should do, despite the inconvenience to some federal employees. It's going to all work out. But many of those workers have said to me and communicated, stay out until you get the funding for the wall. These federal workers want the wall. The only one that doesn't want the wall are the Democrats, because they don't mind open borders. Not only do they not mind them, they have openly advocated for open borders. And that's extraordinarily important. Now, the president, in expressing those messages yesterday, on Christmas, from the Oval Office, to reporters, also said some things that maybe raised an eyebrow or two, such as... While we're fighting over funding, we're also building. And... It's my hope to have this done, completed, all 500 to 550 miles, uh, to have it either renovated or brand new by election time. Not a fan of that phrasing. I will say this. Not a fan of that phrasing. Because what does it, you know, what's the connotation? The president is making it appear as though this is all about being reelected. I hope to have this wall built by election time. This is how critics are going to spin it. This is how cynical people are going to see it. I'm a cynical person by nature. Uh, I have a question about this. When you say it's my goal to have all 500 or 550 miles built by election time, you're making it sound like this is all about me and being reelected, not about border security. This is all about a campaign promise that will help me get reelected. It's not about stopping the flow of drugs, drug cartels from controlling the border, mules, human traffickers, sex slave traffickers and so on and so forth. I don't like that phrasing. But the president did make some other very important points. We're getting $25 billion. It's already approved. But that's for everything. That's for Homeland Security. That includes, as we say, the bells and whistles. We have a lot of drones, a lot of everything in there. 
plus we have some wall money on that. But we want the wall money to be increased because I want to finish it. Of course we do. That is, uh, that is of paramount importance. Now, the president, I mentioned James Comey, who was lying about the president and lying about furloughed workers not having money at Christmas time and about F- furloughed, furloughed FBI agents and so on and so forth not having uh, money at Christmas time. Uh, the president invoked him in his comments to the, um, uh, the media, to the reporters yesterday from the Oval Office on Christmas Day. He likened the shutdown of the government and the uh, stalemate over a border wall to the firing of James Comey, which I found rather amusing. Take Comey. Everybody hated Comey. They thought he did a horrible job. The Democrats hated him. They were calling for his resignation. They were calling for his firing, including Schumer, including Nancy Pelosi, until I fired him. And once I fired him, everybody said, oh, why did you fire him? Why did you fire him? He's right, of course. The president is spot on. Democrats wanted Comey fired until Trump fired him. And then by nature, by by almost reflex, they said, wait a minute. Trump did something. We hate Trump. We must oppose what he did. And we must support the opposite. You should have kept James Comey. How dare you? He's right. Same thing with the border wall. Democrats, as recently as 2013, greenlit an enormous part of the budget, a spending bill for border security that included barriers and fencing. As recently as 2013, and we can go back to 2006, of course, under President George W. Bush, with plenty of Democrat support, agreed to uh, put up fencing and barriers, physical barriers along uh, long stretches of the southern border. Not all of that got built, by the way, but the outlay was made, the money was made available, with Democrat support. So here comes Donald Trump saying, I like that on steroids. Let's put those barriers up. Let's build a giant wall there. And suddenly the Democrats who were for it before are now against it. Just like they were for the firing of Comey until Trump fired Comey. Then they were against it. They're against anything and everything this particular president does. Which indicates it is not the country's best interest that they have at heart. It is not national sovereignty that concerns them. It is not national security that concerns them. It is political points. We must stop Trump from doing what he said he was going to do, or else we can't beat Trump. If he gets his border wall and gets another promise kept check mark in the the, uh, column that says promises kept, well, guess what? He's going to win. We have to stop him at any cost, including cost of lives to American citizens who will continue to die of fentanyl overdoses, who will continue to die of of other drugs, who will continue to die at the hands of criminal aliens and gang members who continue to cross our border, who will continue to die at the hands of terrorists who will continue to cross our border. They don't care. They would rather have Americans die than their own political dreams of holding the White House in 2020 die. All right, a lot to get into today. Coming up after the bottom of the hour at about uh, 9.35, my friend Claire Lopez from the Center for Security Policy will be joining us to discuss the president's Middle East plan, speaking of terrorism, about Syria, the withdrawal of troops, about Afghanistan, the potential drawdown of troops. What does it mean? Is Turkey our friend or our enemy? Why is Iran and Russia celebrating the decision to come out of Turkey or out of uh, Syria? 
We're going to discuss that with Claire Lopez, one of the foremost um, uh, uh, people working uh, in uh, in America today when it comes to the Middle East. She is simply one of the very best. We'll talk to her. Ryan Morrow scheduled to join us at 1010 to discuss some of the same. And, of course, I want you to discuss it with us at 216-901-0945. Our first post-Christmas show uh, here on the 26th of December. Glad you're aboard on AM 1420, The Answer. Back after this. This is Larry Elder. Every day, in every way, we make the argument that the individual needs to be empowered. we got to get the government off the backs of job creators. As my dad used to say, I never got a job from a poor person. Let's stop making people who want to make a buck a villain. Let's start celebrating people that take risks. After all, this country was built on people who take risks. On the next Larry Elder Show. Larry Elder. Weekdays at 7 p.m. Here on AM 1420. The answer. Nine twenty-six. Now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. President Trump uh, making some very very strong statements as we've been sharing with you uh, in support of the border wall, the border security wall, and uh, as that fight goes on, so does the fight over the plight of migrants who are part of the caravan. Many of whom continue to sit and wait in Tijuana for an opportunity to come to the United States and have a um, uh, and have a uh, an asylum hearing. And by the way, congratulations to the president and Mexico's Mexico's incoming president for um, uh, coming to an agreement on new asylum rules. Effective immediately, the U.S. will begin invoking the Immigrant and Nationality Act. Individuals entering the U.S. from Mexico illegally or without proper documentation may be returned to Mexico for the duration of their immigration proceedings, as opposed to being released inside the United States, where, of course, we never see them again some 90% of the time. So uh, the Mexican president, the American president working together on that, so that's a good sign. However... There are some, as you know, who have already crossed into the United States illegally, part of that caravan, and have been detained by Border Patrol and U.S. Uh, um, uh, Border Patrol and Customs Enforcement. And um, sadly, we have had a second incident in which a child has died. About two weeks ago, we had a seven-year-old Guatemalan girl pass away uh, after uh, the horrific orde- ordeal to which she was subjected and covering about a 1,000 miles of Mexico, then wandering more miles into the uh, American desert, uh, malnourished, dehydrated, her immune systems weakened. She passed away after starting to spike a fever over, over 105, despite the best faith efforts of Border Patrol and U.S. medical personnel in those areas to try to save her life. The, the headline news was, girl dies in uh, U.S. Border Patrol custody, as if to say, Border Patrol doesn't care about these kids, he's letting them die. Donald Trump doesn't care about these migrant kids. He's letting them die. Kirsten uh, uh, Nielsen, the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, should be fired. She should resign in, in disgrace. Well, yesterday, it happened again. This time, an eight-year-old Guatemalan boy uh, began exhibiting symptoms of what seemed to be a common cold until he started to spike a fever that became very, very dangerous, and immediately, medical personnel took action. He was transported quickly to a hospital where they worked feverishly, pardon that pun, did not, not even intend to be a pun, pardon that phrasing, but they worked as hard as they could to save the young boy's life. They could not. He died. Headline today, 
Second child dies in U.S. Border Patrol custody. Headline today, Trump killing migrant children. Headline today, Customs or uh, Border Patrol rather doesn't care about these little brown children. They should all be ashamed. Headline today from people like Donna Brazil. Uh, remember Donna Brazil of the DNC who cheated to help Hillary Clinton win the debates against Bernie Sanders? Yeah, tweeting that this is unacceptable and all should be held account in the tr- to account in the Trump administration. It's like saying a child who is burned badly in a fire and is quickly taken by medics to a hospital, to a burn unit where the child dies. It's like saying, child doesn't in the custody of the burn unit. They didn't do anything to save him. They didn't care. No, it doesn't work that way. But the headlines are that the Trump administration and the Border, uh, border Patrol and ICE, they're all responsible for the death of these children. They're just trying to kill off these little brown children rather than let them come into the country. It is reprehensible, it is despicable, and I hope everybody with a conscience calls it out as being such. All right, we're going to talk more about that coming up later. But next, after the news, Claire Lopez will join us to talk about the tenuous situation in the Middle East. Pulling troops out of Syria, potentially pulling a lot of troops out of Afghanistan. What does it mean to the United States' interest in the region? And here at home, Claire Lopez will join us to discuss that. Coming up on AM 1420, The Answer. Opinion. Insight. This is AM 1420. The answer. Um. Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. It is indeed 934. Now the Bob France Authority continues. Thank you so much for joining us on this first post-Christmas edition of the program. Uh, looking forward to talking to you at 216-901-0945. But for now, I look forward to speaking with one of the world's foremost experts on the Middle East, especially here in the United States, Claire Lopez. Back with us once again, Claire, Vice President of Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy. Claire, good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. Thanks for having me. Glad to it, be with you. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I hope you had a wonderful Merry Christmas, and I, of course, wish you the very best in the uh, in the coming new year. Thank um, you. Same to you and all your listeners. Claire, um, boy, uh, the new year is is fraught with possibilities. Uh, some of them good, some of them worrisome, and I want to talk specifically, obviously, about the president's decision and his dispute with some of his leadership in the Pentagon, as well as some of our national security analysts and terrorism experts on the decision to pull 2,000 troops from Syria and potentially thousands of troops from Afghanistan as well. Nobody knows this region, in my opinion, as well as you do, in t- including not only the direct effect, of pulling U.S. troops from those regions, but also on the United States, that is, the direct effect on the United States, but also the effect on the region itself, um, including, uh, you know, why they're celebrating in uh, in Turkey and in Iran and in Russia uh, and, and certainly in, in Syria when the American troops uh, do indeed pull out. So let's start with what is your understanding of the president's reasoning behind taking those troops out of Syria against the advice of so many military leaders in a similar way to what Barack Obama did when he came into office and pulled all of the troops prematurely from Iraq? Well, you know, Bob, I would say that I keep um, the situation in the Middle East uh, separate from the situation as I see it in Afghanistan. So starting with um, what used to be called Syria, um, I, I do disagree 
um, with the president's decision to pull our troops out of that region. Um, and, and because um, I think that it, it's not about their numbers, uh, which are small, 2,000 troops, mostly special forces, um, but more um, the, the symbolism um, and, and the messaging that their presence there sent. Now, very, in very real ter- terms, they, they were supporting our allies, the Kurds, who bore the brunt of the fighting against the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, their presence there meant that we were involved. We were contesting um, the, the, uh, the influence and power projection in the region of Iran, of its terror proxies, uh, Hezbollah. Uh, and certainly as well of the jihadist regime in, in Ankara, the Turks, uh, which, by the way, this morning I'm seeing already are in the process of moving uh, tanks and troops and trucks and so forth, more of them uh, across the Turkish border uh, in, into the uh, Syrian battle spaces. So as we Before you go on, uh, Claire, before you go on with your larger point here, focus on that for a moment. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because the president tweeted three days ago, I think it was three days ago, that uh, President uh, Erdogan has has uh, uh, told him in strong the strongest possible terms, I'm paraphrasing the president's tweet because I don't have it in front mm-hmm. of me, but uh, in the strongest possible terms that he will pick up where the Americans left off, that he will continue to do the work. Is Erdogan our friend? Is Turkey assisting? Absolutely or- not. But that's how the president is making it sound. I, I, I wish that he had some other lines of advice coming into him. Um, we at the Center for Security Policy published a book um, with, with more than 10 different authors included in the numbers of various chapters of the book. It's called Ally No More. came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. No, uh, not 2015. I think it was last year. Sorry. I think it was, that was probably 2017. Okay. But in any case, ally no more. And it is about uh, Turkey and uh, its erstwhile, I do emphasize erstwhile, position as a NATO ally. Um, the regime of uh, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan is not an ally. He is a neo-Ottoman jihadi. He openly speaks about reconstituting the Ottoman Empire. He has openly and directly militarily threatened Cyprus, Greece the Balkans, former elements of the old Ottoman Empire. He wants to reconstitute those and already has carved out an area of influence uh, inside the carcass of what used to be called Syria. Uh, The movement of these troops and tanks and so forth this morning, uh, as I just mentioned, um, is is simply consolidating that position against the Kurds, of course, uh, including our fighting allies, as I mentioned, um, but also in, in, in an expansionist way um, that is designed uh, to, to further Erdogan and the AK party, the Justice and Development Party, Muslim Brotherhood Party of Turkey, ambitions to, to, to reestablish the Ottoman Empire. No, this is not a good thing. And yet again, uh, and I did find the president's tweet, it was from Christmas Eve, in which he said, President Erdogan of Turkey has very strongly informed me that he will eradicate whatever is left of ISIS in Syria, and he is a man who can do it, plus Turkey is right next door. Our troops are coming home. They don't share the same goals that our troops did, as you just uh, as you just pointed out. What kind of advice? And I guess and maybe you know this, maybe you don't, as far as the inner workings of the Oval Office and the West Wing and the Pentagon, but who's he listening to? 
Who's he listening to that, that, that t- Turkey and Erdogan's forces are, are, are marching in lockstep with us and with NATO and they're actually against working against the best interests of ISIS and so on and so forth. He's clearly not listening to his Pentagon chief, outgoing defense secretary Mattis. Who's he listening to? Well, correct. I mean, now I think that both I and, and the president uh, disagree with General Mattis on, on many topics. For example, mm-hmm. Iran. Right. Um, and pulling out of the, uh, the JCPOA Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action uh, Iran nuclear deal. But on this particular issue, which seems to have been, you know, the precipitating factor that caused General Mattis to resign uh, as Secretary of Defense, I, I, I agree. It is a mistake for us to pull out. I don't know to whom the president specifically might be listening. Um, we also saw just last week that the Middle East advisor, Brett McGurk, uh, resigned. Right. Uh, he and Obama administration holdover, um, who presided over um, the Iran nuclear deal, as well as the delivery of those shrink wrapped pallets of, of uh, European cash. cash delivered to the mullahs as ransom for our hostages. So um, many issues on which both uh, Madison and McGurk disagreed with the president, but on this particular issue, the, 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 the U.S. presence in the Middle East. I just think there is no, um, there's no substitute for at least, um, you know, the 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 optics, the the um, the perception that the United States has skin in the game, that we have a presence that is physical. Yes, we were helping to block those troops. We're helping to block the desired um, Iranian land corridor, as they call it, um, that would facilitate even more so. Um, the delivery of, of, of weapons from Iran to its uh, Shiite terror proxies, uh, Hezbollah, in, in both the Syrian battle space and, of course, in Lebanon, which now gets us down to that front-line position that Hezbollah has against our number one ally in the region, Israel. And, um, I mean, when we think about the importance of Israel in this part of the world, it cannot be overstated for the sake of Israel itself, naturally, but also as as the foremost frontline guardian of Western civilization against uh, the Islamic movement and, and a renewed jihad against uh, Europe, which, if anybody knows, has taken place multiple times and will again if that work falls. And now, just this morning, we saw news that uh, Israeli Air Force uh, planes uh, conduct a strike overnight, multiple strikes, um, against uh, reportedly um, uh, Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps uh, post um, uh, military positions um, inside of Syria, um, and perhaps against uh, Red One Place, against a plane load possibly of Hezbollah officials. So let's, uh, let's cross our fingers on that one. Claire Lopez is our guest. She is the Vice President of Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy. She is one of the foremost experts uh, working uh, in uh, in America today on the Middle East. Claire, everybody wants to try to localize this and bring it home. Uh, how does having our troops in Syria help us here? we got enough problems with our border. Bring our boys home. They shouldn't be involved in a Syrian civil war. Those who are siding with the president on this are saying it's time. It's time to bring them home, including the likes of some in office like Rand Paul, uh, who didn't want us there in the first place. He's more of an isolationist. Um, can you can you try to narrow uh, scope this? Um, what is our benefit here? 
of having that presence there. You talked about the presence. Right. And, 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 and what, what danger would we be in if we do? And I mean, here in the homeland, I mean, I, when we, when President Obama's in office, many of us who were critics of his said, you know, especially after all of the constant uh, uh, terror attacks we were suffering here and around the world in American interests at the hands of ISIS and other terrorists, we said, we need to go over there and kill them there before they come and kill us here. Well, that's still the policy as far as I see it. We need to be there to limit them. They have been decimated but not defeated. They still exist, and they'll reconstitute, in my view, um, if we if we leave there. And some are saying, too bad, we should leave there. And again, it's that same mentality. Can you, can you bring some clarity to that? Well, let me try anyway. Um, I think you put it very well um, there, um, Bob. But the president, let's remember... Um, made promises uh, as far back as the 2016 campaign trail um, to bring U.S. troops home. And, uh, you know, I certainly understand that, and I understand um, how people naturally want our troops back home again, certainly at this holiday Christmas season and all. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. But what you were talking about is, is, is the strategic look at it, and that is this. In, in very uh, symbolic, let's start with the optics and, and the visibility and the, and the symbolism of U.S. troops over there, even though it's only 2,000, mm-hmm. um, it means that we have um, a, a commitment. It is a visible commitment, not just to the Kurds, whom apparently we're throwing under the bus again, the largest nation of people on the face of the earth that have been deprived of ever having their own country, their own nation, um, as, as a nation-state, going back at least a hundred years, when earlier in the 20th century, British and French uh, forces, in particular, um, split them deliberately, split them up amongst different countries: Iran, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, uh, in the Middle East. And now we, who depended on those Kurds so much during the fight against the Islamic State, which, by the way, I think it is terribly myopic to think that that's all we're doing over there is fighting the Islamic State. That's simply a name. Uh, remember the names that went before it. Before that, it was Islamic State in Iraq and al-Sham. That's the ISIS part. Before that, it was uh, the uh, Islamic State in Iraq, al-Qaeda in Iraq, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It will simply morph. It will change names. There are, I've heard reports, seen reports, at least 30,000 fighters, uh, Islamic State fighters still around. Others faded back into the civilian population to reconstitute whenever they, they have the ability to do so. And, of course, they will do so because it's an Islamic doctrinal obligation to attempt to reestablish that caliphate. But the, the Islamic State aside, uh, the Kurds had been our foremost allies. They deserve our support. They deserve not to be kicked to the curb again. I think they deserve a nation state of their own. That's one. Um, but then also I mentioned this before, and that is that those troops were helping physically in a very real sense um, to, to, to block, to, 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 to be based astride um, the, the uh, intended land corridor. Now you can say, yes, the, the Iranians fly, fly plane loads of stuff in all the time. Yeah, they do. Um, but the land corridor matters as well, that they want to establish from Iran, uh, you know, through through. Those, those areas. Iraq is, is essentially a, a, a satrap of, of, of uh, Tehran uh, through there, through, through what's left of Syria. And then, as I said before, to the Mediterranean Sea, an outpost on the southeast littoral of the, of the Mediterranean Sea 
and then that frontline position all the way through Lebanon, which belongs to Iran as well because it's it's dominated and owned essentially by Hezbollah against our ally Israel. We cannot overstate enough the importance of Israel and the, the importance that that ally of ours, nation-state, Jewish state of Israel, plays um, in blocking um, you know, the, the, the uh, aggressive, expansionist, geostrategic policies of Iran, of Hezbollah, and the other Islamic movement uh, jihadis of the area um, in, 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 in defending, blocking um, that movement, again, towards Europe. Claire Lopez is historical. That can happen again. Claire Lopez is our guest uh, with the Center for Security Policy. Claire, that's just the Syrian part of this, and you've obviously expanded it into Israel as well. But I do want to talk about the separate side of this. You said you see Afghanistan as being very, very different, and the potential decision by the president to remove troops from there is a different discussion. I need to get a quick check of our traffic and a timeout here. If you can stay with me and tell us about the Afghanistan Afghanistan side of that, Mm -hmm. that would be wonderful. Claire Lopez, right back with us after this on AM 1420, The Answer. The answer. All right, 953. Now we continue for a few minutes more with Claire Lopez, Vice President of Research and Analysis at the Center for Security Policy, a Middle East expert, talking about the president's decision to uh, part company with his uh, defense team, particularly Defense Secretary James Mattis, quite literally in the fact that Mattis will be gone here in just a few days, but parting with him in terms of policy as it pertains to Syria. And now we'll talk about Afghanistan. We have been at war in Afghanistan in some capacity now for roughly 17 years, Claire, and uh, with no end in sight. And a lot of people feel like we need to bring them home. We need uh, to bring our troops home. We're not accomplishing anything there. They're in grave danger, and it's doing nothing. I would again say, and I'm very being very simplistic about this, that's why I call upon you for the details and the explanation and analysis, but we, when we left them alone... Prior to 2001, uh, the Taliban was training and uh, and funding terror operations that eventually led to the likes of 9-11. We kind of need to be there to continue to disrupt the rebuilding of the control of the Taliban. Now, that's a simplistic layman's point of view. What is an expert point of view? <laughs> well, you're not wrong, of course. Um, and, and, and I understand, uh, you know, how, how that thinking is. But, but here's what I would say and why I think that Afghanistan is different uh, than Syria. Okay. Um, it is, for one thing, not located in, in such a strategic area of the world uh, as the Middle East. Um, it is of no particular national strategic um, com- core compelling national strategic interest um, uh, for the United States. The one thing that people do bring up, and you just did as well, is, well, we need to prevent uh, reestablishment of the Taliban, which would... Uh, that also gives safe harbor to Al-Qaeda, maybe Islamic State, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but let's remember, 9-11 did not come out of the Hindu Kush. 9-11 came out of Tehran and Riyadh. It was Iran and Saudi Arabia, together with proxies like Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah, mm-hmm. that brought us 9-11. So it's not specifically about a geographical place called Afghanistan. Uh, the other thing is that um, the Taliban uh, already either controls or threatens probably most of Afghanistan in 17 years. We have not been able to prevent that. I think we cannot prevent that. 
Because after all, who are the Taliban? The Taliban are the husbands, fathers, brothers, and sons of the Afghan people and Pakistani people, because the border means very little there. But they are never in a million years going to choose to ally themselves with an invading force of infidel kufar, which is what we are, from the outside, uh, over their own family and faith. They're just not going to do it. Um, and we've seen that. So, yes, we want to deny that area to, uh, you know, the reestablishment of, of uh, the source of a terror attack against the United States or anywhere else of our um, allies, of course. Um, but I think that a small force of special forces, um, I think uh, the president's also been talking to Eric Prince about a small force of perhaps uh, contracted uh, contracted to the Defense Department, to the United States uh, Defense Department, a uh, set of forces there to monitor what's going on. Uh, and then a threat looks to be developing in terms of training camps, um, the concentration of, of terror forces, um, well, we got Moabs for that. And I think that's the way to deal with it. But we are never, ever going to turn Afghanistan um, in, into, you know, some kind of um, pro-West, pro-American, um, democratic enclave. It's just not going to happen. Can you give me your opinion, Claire, last thing on this, because we're just about out of time. Can you give me your opinion of the decision to replace Mattis and to force the resignation. I know you said uh, he, of course, was on the wrong side of a number of things, including the payments to Iran uh, to be a part of the nuclear deal and so on and so forth. Give me your opinion on that and also the incoming or at least interim or acting Secretary of Defense, Mr. Shanahan. Well, I, I truly don't know a whole lot about Mr. Shanahan, and he is uh, acting, as you say. Um, it seems that the president will be looking for another um, person to replace General Mattis as, as permanent Secretary of Defense. Um, Mattis, of course, uh, had disagreed with the president on, on any number of things mm-hmm. over time. This uh, decision of the president about pulling troops out of the Middle East, out of Syria, looks to have been the, 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 the final straw, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and, and likewise, perhaps, with uh, Brett McGurk, uh, both of them opposed to the president on so many policies um, one wonders how they stayed there that long. It was their decision to, to resign. Um, uh, it was the president's decision, I think, to, to speed up uh, the departure of, of uh, General Mattis from the Correct. Pentagon. So you say yes. right after New Year's Day, he'll be gone. Uh, I don't know who's being looked at um, for replacement permanent, act, uh, permanent Secretary of Defense, but we're just going to have to watch and see and hope that that person, uh, whomever it may be, uh, will be better aligned with the president. Um, uh, as I said, I don't agree on, on the Syria part of it, but on, on many other issues, especially Iran. Well, I completely concur with that. It is really important that we have our, you know, a unified uh, messaging and, and unified policy. I, th- I think the president and the uh, defense secretary, whomever it may be, they do, do need to be rowing the boat in the same direction. My question, of course, is who knows more about it, whoever that military expert is or the president, who, of course, has a career uh, in something much different than studying the Middle East and uh, uh, and, and military uh, uh, strategies. So that'll be the interesting thing to see whom he chooses. Uh, Claire Lopez, Vice President of Research and analysis at um, 
uh, the Center for Security Policy. Honestly, uh, Claire, you're one of the very, very best in the business. We always look to you as a go-to person, and I really appreciate you coming through for us once again. Thanks for having me, Bob. Happy New Year. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Claire, and happy new year to you, you as well. That's Claire Lopez. She takes us to the 10 o'clock hour now, so we're going to get news. And on the other side of the news, Ryan Morrow, another national security analyst with expertise in the Middle East. He will join us next right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.